one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. And we are back. No rugby, obviously, but still, amazingly enough, there's stuff to talk about, which is why I'm looking at Phil right now. How you doing, Phil? Hello, Tim. Hood up like some kind of vigilante just 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 in from doing some uh, crime fighting what's going on hood up vest on usual stuff <laughs> Actually, yeah vest on you look like fresh from a workout more likely is that the, is that what you've been doing uh no not not recently actually i'm just wearing a lot more sportswear than i usually wear because <laughs> yeah. i'm oh. in lockdown jb when was the last time you wore a pair of jeans yesterday but prior to that it was eight weeks ago <laughs> the last time i wore a pair of jeans was when you and I went out for that uh, few pints the Friday before everything got shut down. Uh, I don't like to talk about myself too much, but what wisdom that we displayed that, that evening. Re- we really did. Really did pull out the bag there. Yeah. The last we weekend, did. I got, or the, the weekend before lockdown, I got a Thursday night out and a Saturday night out. Wow. And then, it, and then everything was locked down. I would like to think that us three have this kind of potential that if we were on the Titanic, we would have got to life rafts way before any of the women and kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so there's obviously, I mean, yeah, amazingly, there is still stuff to talk about. I think largely because rugby is just getting deep into the political wrangling and stakeholders trying to draw lines in the sand, stick flags in the ground and all kinds of other stuff. So we, we yeah. can... So should we just jump into the mire, the quagmire that rugby is becoming? Do it. Or everything off the field in rugby that it's becoming. So what, what, what do we know that we didn't know last week? We've had, um, it, it depends which way we're going to go. If we're going to go domestic in the UK or, or gen, domestic generally, or um, the world rugby elections. So, the World Rugby elections, which were supposed, they were held last weekend. They were supposed to be announced on the twelfth of May, uh, but there has been um, a much earlier announcement than expected. And Bill Bowman has retained the role of chairman um, at the expense of Augustine Pichot. Who I assume now fades into obscurity because he's no longer the vice, is he? Correct. He's not the vice. Uh, he's got no official role in World Rugby. There's a few other positions. Um, obviously, Augustine Pichot went for the big one, failed to get the big one, which um, obviously Bill Beaumont has got. And um, he had no running mate. Um, and Bernard Lepore, uh, we assume, is the um, vice chair. And when you look well, at the votes and how they were spread, Bill Beaumont, by virtue of having the support of the Six Nations, uh, won. By I, that, I, because that was 18 of the... 53 votes or 52 votes. I think Bill Beaumont would have been the 53rd vote if one was needed. Uh, but uh, eight, 18 of the votes were six, uh, were three points each, three votes each for each six nations nation, of which Bill Beaumont got the lot with the help of Bernard Laporte, kind of in his pocket. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's a little bit sad because I've really liked Augustine Peashot until very recently. He struck me as the more dynamic of the two. And it feels like it was all or nothing for him, unless he goes into some other role. It feels like he came swinging for the champ and missed. 
I think that's a fair, fair assessment. And he, he wasn't too far behind. Uh, Bill Beaumont has promised changes. And there's been lots of talk of the global calendar getting sorted out. I just wonder if the fact that the Six Nations countries supported Bill Beaumont and they were the, they were the road hump that stopped a global, the, the last global tournament that, was, that Bill Beaumont tried to put through in his last term, I wonder if the same will happen again. What, 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 do, you think will, what do you think we'll be saying four years from now when the next one is? Oh, I or mean, two years or however, however long. Yeah, four, four years, I think. Four years. I don't think this election solves anything, really. Because they can probably change as much as they like, but as long as they don't have jurisdiction over the things that they want to change, it, it's beyond me how they do it. So they can say until they're blue in the face that they're going to have a global tournament. But if the Six Nations say, no, you're not having a global tournament, guess what's not going to happen? So it could have been Bill. It, it, it could have been um, P-Show. I don't think anything changes. It was just one of those things where they were speaking a good game about all the potential things that they could do. But I don't think they can get anything done. I, I don't see how they can. So that, that, that is going to be interesting because there's two reports today in the Times and um, the Rugby Paper that Beaumont and others, including potentially the Six Nations, are looking at a revised um, global calendar and global competition that, yeah. at least on the face of it from these reports, appears to have some of the backing of the, the Six Nations. Now, there's a key part to it that I think you can't get the backing of the Six Nations, which I'll explain in a second. So the previous version of the, the global tournament was supposed to be over one year where... I think it was going to be 10 team uh, leagues and everyone plays each other once in that year. And the 10 team league was basically the six nations and the rugby championship. So six nations all play each other in broadly the normal time scale rugby championship, all play each other in broadly the normal time scale. And then between the summer and uh, autumn internationals, everyone plays everyone else. So all the Northern hemisphere teams play the Southern hemisphere in a mini tournament format. In one city or country. Right. Now, so th this has changed from that, or the, the proposal appears to have changed. So they appear to have expanded it to a 12-team, or three 12-team leagues are being proposed, um, with the top tier being all those teams, plus most likely Fiji and Japan being the next best to the rest. But it is proposed that there is movement between the tiers, and that's the bit that I just, I cannot see any Six Nation teams, or certainly I cannot see all of Scotland the Six Nations Italy. teams. Scotland and Italy won't. Correct. Yeah. I can't see all of the Six Nations teams. And as I understand it, all the Six Nation teams would need to vote for that for the relegation to happen, um, or relegation and promotion to happen. Um, not just Italy and Scotland that need to be worried. This can happen to any team. I mean, it could conceivably happen to Ireland. Though. I know Ireland fans think that's ridiculous. Not a big playing population. They need a few injuries. They could be, they could be bottom. Wales could be bottom very easily. Yeah, nonetheless, I believe, I believe I'm right in saying, although I don't think this was ever official, but I believe it was Ireland and Scotland that just said, under no circumstances are we doing it, and that's why it didn't get anywhere. And, and that might actually be sensible. I mean, well just putting a an irish hat on or a scottish hat on it probably is sensible yeah um and but it it is it's sensible to a point because one of the things that we spoke about over the last few weeks is the importance of growing the pot as in yeah there there are there are fundamental funding issues right across rugby no no one and the, COVID-19 has exacerbated it and highlighted it, but no one is safe. No one is immune from that position. Not the All Blacks, which is the strongest brand in rugby, which we'll talk about on our next pod. Um, that is one of the best global sports brands, strongest brand in rugby. They've had 70% revenue hit at this point in time, and they've had to um, massively cut the, the wages of a lot of their players. So no one's immune from this. So one of the things that you can do is grow the global pot and I'm in favour of growing the global pot broadly. I just need to see a, uh, a proposal that meets the criteria that continues the Six Nations, continues the, the strength of the best tournament in the world, gets the top teams playing against each other. And the bit that this misses, this proposal, is getting the weaker teams opportunities to play against the bigger teams. 
Now, that's that's the bit I don't like about this. But what I understand this is balancing off is by having this global tournament and creating additional revenues, there is going to be improved revenue sharing between the different tiers because this is proposing it as as three three separate twelve team competitions, but sharing the money out a bit a bit more fairly. Yeah, but that seems attractive. My issue, just to echo your point, is well, two issues. One, if you're Scotland, for instance, and you're in charge of the Scottish game, you should be looking after the best interests of the Scottish game. And if that means that your team might be relegated and then all the kids in Scotland go and play football instead of rugby because they've got no Six Nations matches, nobody cares about rugby and it dies in Scotland, well, then you have manifestly failed in your commitment to Scottish rugby for some greater good, which actually turns out not to be that great. The second thing is, the idea of growing the pot sounds so simple. And I believe that if it was that simple, it would have been done. And Super Rugby is the best example of this. If, the, if you come to me and show me, oh, we're going to have this team play this team, and we're going to expand into this area, this market, and we'll just... Glo- uh, Pro 14 as well. They claim they've got some huge audience figures now, or potential audience figures, because they've got two terrible teams in Italy and two terrible teams in South Africa. It doesn't, doesn't quite work in that, uh, in that simple, simple type of manner. So I'm very suspect of both getting the, the Scots on board or the Italians on board or whoever's responsible for the rugby in their country. And second of all, I'm very, very su- suspicious that you can just pull out a tournament which is made, which is made up out of thin air and it'd be successful. It's, it's strange, JB, because I know you are, and I, I'm a, I, I believe in, um, broadly speaking, in the free market to solve problems, to lead to growth and development. When people are left unregulated and unfettered, things will improve and get better. And that's been... Flowers bloom. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm liberal in the, uh, you know, in, in the traditional sense in that view. And I, I, so it's quite strange. I understand. So this is where I understand, like just you throw in political language in. I understand like a conservative point of view is conserving things, keeping it as they are. But equally, I think in this case, that goes against the kind of deregulation and and letting letting things grow. And I I think there's an element of just by keeping things as they are and holding on to what you got, it's just going to shrink and shrink and shrink. And one of the bits of evidence for that this weekend, the rugby paper have been doing quite a bit of journalism, um, trying to really dig into this. The playing figures in England are way down. They've taken a, they've taken a nosedive on the participation levels and they're trying to get some actual hard numbers on this because I think the RFU are, say, are saying, no, it stayed flat. But I believe that's because of the growth in women's rugby. Yeah. But that's men's that. rugby has taken a big old nosedive. Not at Disbury Talk H, I, um, I might add. I have no <laughs> doubt, JB. <laughs> and I'm not saying there's, co- I'm, you know, there's cause, correlation causation. All I'm saying is rugby, I don't think rugby can afford to stand still. I think actually it needs to be more radical because having the chance to stop and just look around and assess and hit pause and take a bird's eye view, how many more like, I, I've been watching the All Blacks all or nothing too much. <laughs> these cliches about. Uh, we'll get into that on our next pod. Um, but I just can't think, I just don't think rugby can stand still. I think it's got to be more ambitious and radical. And, okay. and, and that doesn't mean... We have to blow up everything that already exists, the Six Nations, the tradition and everything. But I just think we can't be where we are now, two years from now, or it, that's a net, that's, go, that's, that's the equivalent of going backwards. The thing is, we never know what will work. And, you know, we, if we did know, we, we would do it. My feeling is just imposing a tournament, which you've made up from scratch onto people, won't excite, won't excite people in the same way that the, yeah, the, Super rugby teams, like even in Australia, where they just said, "Hey, here's a new Super rugby team." It worked for some time, and then it disappeared. Uh, even South Africa, they've had to ditch two, two teams. People don't respond to it, so I'm all for letting. You know, if we find that there's a huge appetite for rugby in China, which allegedly that there is, they will set up their own tournaments. They will become good. They will start attracting in talent and, co- and, and coaches and all and the rest of it. So I don't. I just don't believe that this big top-down hit. Uh, here is a tournament, go and play. 
to be successful as a nation or as a club, you've got to really love the game and you've got to really commit to it. And I'm not sure parachuting a team in or just making up fixtures on a calendar does that. So I'm I'm a bit more positive than that. I I don't think that this is a is immediately going to solve all the world's rugby problems, but I think this is um, certainly a worthwhile avenue to explore to have both the traditional rivalries that you already have and probably exploit um, some of the the other rivalries. And what, what I mean by that is you, you're playing um, your Six Nations games and your rugby championship, all that stays pretty much exactly the same. It might move by a month either way um, or a couple of months either way. Besides that, it stays exactly the same. Yeah. But then you get a guaranteed meaningful if you respect the the global league game between England and New Zealand every year, between England and South Africa every year, between New Zealand and France every year, between Ireland and Australia every year, and Ireland and Argentina, which there's a lot of spice to and probably hasn't happened outside of a World Cup for, for years, that's happening, would happen yeah. every year. I mean, all that, you've, got, you've already got the fundamental rivalries. You're just kind of leaning on them. Yeah, I don't think, but I don't think putting the tournament in place makes them more or less um, important. In fact, I'd argue that it makes them less important because, say, if you've got two teams at the foot of the table, not playing for anything, it turns into a dead rubber. Whereas a test match is always a test match. You could lose your last three test matches, uh, but the next one means everything. So I'm not even convinced that the meaningful games will be that meaningful. Sorry to sound so miserable. Uh, I think I think. Different people will look at it differently. Yeah. Um, I, I, you might be right for, for amongst some of the, the diehard rugby fans, but the people who are going to watch every game regardless might consider that. But um, looking a bit wider and looking at trying to attract new people, I, I think that this is the kind of thing that would get more people uh, engaged and involved. I agree with but that. You- the, the, the one thing that's, that's lacking from just you know uh, having the, the cross-hemisphere games, which I'm in favour of, uh, is and I understand what you're saying. If there's an explosion of interest in China, they'll do their own leagues and it will bubble up from the bottom to the top. I, I get that, but if you don't have the the aspirate the carrot of aspiration just dangling there for Georgia for uh, Romania, then you're not going to get you're not going to get got like like, like uh, what Hans Peter Ville, the German billionaire, Caprisson owner. Yeah, yeah. If if you dangled that aspiration hey, you've got a lot of money and you love rugby. There's a route, there's a pathway that means you could be sitting at the top table 10 years from now. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll sink 100 million into that. You, sh- yeah. you shut that aspiration. I think you shut the door to... I mean, you, you're, you, you're the one that in the past, JB, have rightly pointed out that rugby... Oh, speak, he's just... Oh, he's there. He's uh, there. J, JB, you're, <laughs> the one, you're the one who's rightly pointed out in the past that rugby relies on wealthy individuals yes i wonder if the future of rugby is not as a mass participation global game but more in the nfl style which is the very top end of it gets more popular more eyeballs on it across the globe but then the player base effectively shrinks and the leagues shrink and it just polarizes into one league or a handful of and actually if that happens uh, world rugby got to be very worried because that doesn't include nations. And, you know, look at football. International football is rubbish, except for, you know, the World Cup. And even the World Cup is pretty rubbish until, uh, until the finals. Everyone has got their eyes on the Premier League or maybe the Champions League, something like that. And I wonder if, if rugby is going to go the same way. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. Now, this, this is just, these proposals are just that at the moment. They are just a hypothetical proposal to do something to bring more money into the game and get more engagement with the game. And we'll see where that goes. There's another one of um, Bill Bowman's or um, a a potential Bill Bowman um, proposal that was mentioned this week. Um, And it's something that's interesting to us because it's something that we've mentioned many times in the past. Get rid Um, of the knock-on. Not getting rid (laughs) of the knock-on. Not having a team sit out in the uh, premiership every year. it is um, allowing players who've only had a handful of caps for a um, one nation to switch nations. Well done. 
So a, a great example of this would be Tekele Nairavuru, who has, I think he's just got one cap for Australia. Um, Fijian-born winger, who I believe would like to represent Fiji for the next World Cup. So to, to have him have, have only one cap for Australia and then be prevented from playing for Fiji does seem a bit ridiculous. Um, so if that can happen in time for the next World Cup, brilliant. Yeah, I'd want to see, I'd want to see the little... It sounds like another flowchart coming on, another directive flowchart coming on. But I, I hope that flowchart isn't isn't. You can't return. You can't have your second nation based on residency. It would have yes. to be on birth yeah. or parentage. B- birth or parent. Yeah. Which which I think there would probably be quite a lot of people, um, particularly who have had one or one or two caps for Australia or New Zealand, um, yeah. and and even France, um, England. Um, uh, then being eligible for a uh, Pacific Island nation, but with with I guess the the caveat on that, um, and I guess one of the caveats for the um, for the potential of a global league, if there were to be more funding spread around to the lower tier nations, um, is the Pacific Island the organisation that the hierarchy of the Pacific Island nations would need to get their their structures in place, um, which seems to be something that is still still lacking uh, even given the the recent stuff with Fiji's nomination for uh, World Rugby Council that we've mentioned on the last few pods. I don't know where the um the, the new calendar came from but there was some stories knocking around today that premiership clubs seem to be fairly in favor of shifting the season so that the premiership season would start in December after the autumn tests but would run to July. Uh, with the Six Nations moving to April, May. April, May. I did. I saw that. It doesn't uh, really bother. I mean, I don't have strong feelings about it. Yeah. No, no I'd, I'd, I'd be fine with that. That would just align. That would align the Super Rugby season with the Premiership and Top Fourteen season. Basically, is what it would do. Yeah. Not, yeah. It's not the end of the world. I don't really care. That's fine. No, that's yeah. fine. And I, I'd, 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 just how you'd fit it in with the. Um, the Heineken Cup as well, because the Heineken Cup is one thing that I really, I don't want to, I definitely don't want to lose the Heineken Cup because I think it's such a good tournament yeah. every single year. I'd be willing to lose everything but the Heineken Cup. <laughs> Heineken Cup, Premiership, Six Nations. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Keep, keep those three. Anything else? Do what you want with. Bid it. Pretty, pretty much. Has <laughs> 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 there, there been any whispers on when rugby could potentially return in some way, shape, or form? Because I know that, that the football are talking about June, and then there's there's been these ideas of rugby being done. Like, have you seen what they're doing in uh, Aussie Rules? Nope, no idea. What they've got planned in Aussie Rules is basically all the players get tested and then taken to basically one like location where all the players from all the teams live for nine weeks, and they just do the <laughs> se- they do the season. <laughs> Like that game on every day. Just like Love Island. They just yeah, yeah, like Love Island, but they just move away from their families <laughs> and they live in this little complex and just uh, do the do the tournament in, in nine weeks. I so I could see I've seen that being at least muted um for Premier League football and just have everyone and basically because you can in in football you can play a game every two or three days, just crunch through the season, every team plays every two or three games. Uh, two but, or three days. When, when needs must. I mean, it used to be sacrosanct that rugby players could only play one game every every week, and they well they can, but rugby teams can play more than one game per week, and that's slightly different. I think they'll probably do that. Uh, I'm so I've not seen anything more come out of Premiership Rugby, as far as I'm aware. Their previous statement, which was made a few weeks ago, which was it. They're not cancelling the season and it will return when, there's, when it is safe to do so. That's the last thing I've seen. What I have seen besides that is, so the top 14 has officially been ended and yep. they, they are looking to conclude, uh, sorry, not looking to conclude, looking to focus on the next season. So their aim is to start in um, September 2020. But, it- but that even that does seem a bit, um, I don't know. Yeah, They're ambitious, and they might be playing without crowds, uh, which allows them to f- fulfil TV um, fixture deals. So it gets half of it, um, and it, 
certainly if that happens in the top 14 and there's no other rugby, I'll be watching the top 14. I'll be watching quite a lot of top 14. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. I, I think Premier Rugby are probably keeping their powder dry and seeing what football does. Yeah, yeah well, it's interesting football yeah. because uh, I, I think football have been watching rugby coverage and in the absence of a crowd, they're going, well, what else can we do that's good? And it's interesting that I, I was reading an article today about what Premiership football, Premier League football are planning. And it is effectively, let's do what BT Sport have been doing. <laughs> can we can we get half time? Can we get a quick half time chat? Can we get cameras into the dressing rooms? Can we do a pre match interview with a player in the changing room? So well, I, I've not got any good answers for this yet, but presumably having a crowd has some opportunity costs. What are those opportunity costs, and how do you then? Well, cameramen can't take shots of attractive women in the crowd. It's the main yeah, one. Yeah, just <laughs> put them in, in, into the crowd. That'd be fine. Or. <laughs> Cut, cut some catalogue shots. Um, <laughs> like, like there, there must be, like there, there must be something which a crowd doesn't let you do, which you which you can now do. I don't, I don't know what what that thing is, but everything has an opportunity cost. Hmm. I wonder, right? What would it be like watching a game with no crowd, but at the Racing Stadium? I still reckon they could make that seem pretty cool. I, I tell you what, maybe that's it. Maybe because you don't have a crowd, you can afford to play your games in some of the coolest locations you can think of. Yeah, because you, you don't need a 60,000-seater stadium. No, you can play it. By the way, this isn't me telling you what's cool. I'm not saying the Trafford Centre is cool. But you, <laughs> you could literally play it in the Trafford Centre. Yeah. You could, 4G. you could play it on a ship, as long as it's not moving. You, know, you could play it in all sorts of weird locations. It'd be pretty cool, actually. It should be done like, um, you know, like the background in Street Fighter. You should do Exactly. Like on a mountain, on a mountaintop somewhere. <laughs> in front of a Buddhist temple. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can do anything now. On Machu Picchu. Amazing. <laughs> like, if, like it's designed for rugby. Yeah. So, the, hang, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon for uh, <laughs> England, was- South Africa. Yeah, there are so many things that, yes, this is it. There are so many things that you can do because you don't have to, you know, have a crowd. You don't have to get um, 10,000 or 50,000 people to one location. You just need to get uh, 23 or 40 people to one location. A bit of turf and a temporary surface. Yeah. yeah there you go. To, don't, the, don't, to, the, you, I, to the pyramids at Giza. Yeah, I bet, though, that if you did, just try and work this out now. If you did have a rugby match somewhere, somewhere weird, and you think, yeah, we've got no crowds, we don't need to send, take you know, 20,000 people or 9,000 people, or how, what, what have they got to be? I bet you'd still end up roping in thousands and thousands of people. You've got to have people to lay the turf, you've got to have people to man the, you know, put up the um, floodlights, you've got to have a film crew there, you've got to have all the staff there, you've got to have an ambulance there, you've got to have all sorts yeah. of But it would be cool because... The, 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 bit of, um, the bit of ground immediately outside Buckingham Palace, but before the gates, is about the size of a rugby pitch. Like England could play their home games there. France, like the, uh, behind one of the posts, could be the Eiffel Tower. Why not? I mean, genuinely, why not? Play for landmarks. Italy, play, play in the Colosseum. That would be cool. Could they? Is it big enough? Maybe not. Do you know, do you know it, it, back in the day, this is um, something I learned from a Zoom quiz a few weeks you could, back. You could definitely play by the Eiffel Tower. I've been there. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. There's definitely There's room. De- definitely room there. Back in the day, not only did they used to have like gladiator fights in the Colosseum and the other one, what was it called? The other one, the, the whatever the other one, the circus, this, anyway, whatever the other one in, in Italy is, in Rome is, um, in the Colosseum. They, they, used to fl- they used to flood the Colosseum and have boat battles in it. Um, I thought you were going to say Cirque du Soleil from Canada. I don't know why. Just the way you said Cirque <laughs> Rugby game in, on, on the strip in Vegas. Yeah, that would be cool. On, on, on a beach. On a coast. You see, you see ideas everywhere. <laughs> and I, actually- hey, our ideas get listened to our ideas get listened to we were talking about uh, Bath v Wigan the cross code match on, uh, on one of last week's podcasts and what do you know what's, what's going to be one of the games played on Sky Sports this week the cross code match Bath v Wigan this Friday 
It's it, both games. I think one kicks off at seven and one kicks off at nine. People listen. Th- we pod. People listen. Things change. Well, I don't know if they are listening, but maybe we should test them by putting out a random game and seeing if they can if they can put if they can show it. <laughs> Any games in mind? Well, Talk H Ormskirk Cup final two years ago. <laughs> 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 uh, glorious. Maybe sweet. So um, my observation of oh sorry, go on, Phil. I, I was just going to say and, and just a point that links to um, the top fourteen um, shutting down their season and links to something else that we're going to talk about, which we we spoke about last week, is the French Union has given the green light for um, players pay cut for players to accept pay cuts. Uh, and the, the figures I don't think have been confirmed, but they were talked about at 31% in the top 14 and 25%, I think it was, in Pro Deda. So the, the French Union, the French Players Union, and France, as we know, are normally fairly militant unions and fairly heavily unionised. Yep. They've given the thumbs up to a, a pay cut or two significant pay cuts for their... I suppose in this case, it cuts both ways because in France... When well, this is a government thing, not even a players' union thing. This is just a nationwide thing. If a player goes over there, like Johnny Wilkinson, but broken body in England, he goes over there, plays for Toulon, and gets injured. He gets paid by the government whilst injured. Yeah, um, which Toulon did it very famously with a few people, like Wilkinson, Juan Smith, Juan Smith, with uh, probably probably the best example actually of having multiple failed operations and then getting back and getting back to being one of the best players in the world for, for an extended period of time, winning three Heineken cups. Incredible actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess at least there is some in the other column when, when they're taking stuff away, you can also look at the way, how it is to be a player in France and go, you're pretty well looked after in some, in other respects. Yeah. That's a good point. I just thought that yeah. that probably links us quite nicely to yeah, the very interesting discussion we were having last week on Ellis Genge and the potential for um, a new union for um, UK or English players. Yeah, so I, I mean, I've heard no further news uh, news about this really, other than what's been reported, and it does seem like this is picking up steam. I would not be surprised if there was an answer. Maybe. Monday, well, certainly before Wednesday. A Monday morning say. meeting. Another. Monday morning meeting, yes. Pretty <laughs> sure, having looked at the Leicester Tigers situation, as, um, as we all did last week, that they will need a couple of Monday morning meetings because as far as I can see, they, they are going to have to give ground. Um, one of the things I was thinking uh, this week, and I don't know if we discussed it last week, but if any Premiership rugby player gets a reduction in their pay, and they've not signed it off themselves. The club is in breach of contract. That player can just move, which is a really, I mean, that's a really weird I, I, um, idea. But then I assume the clubs have got an agreement with each other not to sign each other's players in the case of them breaching, breaching, breaching contracts. And if that's the case, that's really out of order, if that is the case. So, um, yeah, that that's that's one uh, that's one angle of this. Uh, the rugby pod, a, a rival podcast, did a very long bit on this, and I kind of disagree with almost everything that they said. Actually, not. Uh, Can you summarise think... the position they took? Because I didn't yeah, hear that. There, there were two elements really. One was praising the RPA. Um, and the other one was pointing out the naivety of the players involved. So just on the, the naivety of the players in, um, involved, it was reported this week it was um, uh, Ellis Genge and Greg Bateman's name came, came up. Well, if you look at this Leicester Tigers situation, actually, far from being naive, these, uh, these boys have really paid attention, far more so than anyone else. And I think they've come out of this whole thing looking mighty impressive because they're not... Asking for their money up front, as we, as we spoke well, about. Would you cross a picket line enforced by Greg Bateman and Ellis Genge? <laughs> no. <laughs> but they, but they, but they're right. They've they've got basically basically um, all, all the cards. The club is in, in breach of contract, and they're not saying give us our, give us our money now. They're saying the opposite, which is if you, the ownership, are not able to invest in your club, 
and all the indications suggest that you're not able to, let us, the players, give you our money to keep the club going and also meet our salaries. Well, that's, other- that's not been reported yet, that particular idea, but it's a neat idea if that was something they, they were to come up with. Yeah. And, well, yes, quite. Um, <laughs> You made me lose my uh, train. Sorry, JB, I apologise. So, so, Jay, just just on that point. Far from naive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just just on that point, um, I listened to Elias Genge on the BBC Rugby podcast with um, Ugo Monia, Chris Jones, um, Danny Kerr, and Chris Ashton were all on there, and I thought Elias Genge came across really well and really switched on and and thinking about this in a different way. Um, as, and what I mean by that is I, I think there's, there would have been a lot of pressure on a lot of players just to accept it and sign uh, any contracts, um, any amended contract that's put in front of them, which effectively would take away their right to do exactly what JB explained, which would be accept this as a breaching contract and potentially move on if that is the right thing for the player. Um, and so he, he didn't say he, there was any conclusion in this, but he was just trying to get awareness and get players thinking about the, the predicaments that they're in, the things that they're signing, and getting them the best advice. So that, I, I thought Genj came across really well from that. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Yeah, I could not be more impressed by the guy, quite, quite frankly. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say on Leicester Tigers, which is if they don't pay their players, if they just cut, cut, the, cut their salary, Remember, Leicester Tigers is up for sale for 60 million quid. That means one of the shareholders will walk away with 30 million quid if they sell it for the price that they're asking for. I have no problem with that whatsoever. In fact, I think it's a good thing. That said, if, he, if they want to do it by you know, maintaining the club's value on the back of the players, that's not acceptable. So this is why the Ellis Genge position is far more nuanced and far more switched on than I thought he was given credit for. Um, the second part was uh, about the RPA and what a good job that they do. And we touched, up, touched on this last week. The RPA do a good job. And you need to understand it in context. And you need to understand more than one thing can be true at once. The RPA was set up with, with good intentions. They're, full, they're filled with good people. They do good work. But it doesn't mean that on paper they do not look conflicted because they clearly look, look conflicted. And it also doesn't mean that they're particularly good on things like player payments and um, the commercial side. Yeah, so, so a couple of tangible examples of things that the RPA are great at, which, and remember, rugby's only 20, just over 20 years into professionalism. The RPA are excellent at helping and financially supporting um, players to get qualifications, to organise their post-playing career, to help them with any mental health issues they have in adjusting to, to life after that and any tangible. So... They're, they're excellent at that. And, and that broadly you could put under a welfare umbrella. They're superb at. Yeah, exactly right. And I think it's also unfair to say, oh, well, they're in the pocket of the clubs, both the clubs and the RPA. The clubs didn't do this so they could manipulate the, uh, uh, the players in an underhand way. They did it because they thought it was the right thing to do at the time. But, you know, it, maybe it wasn't. Maybe they should have encouraged the players to pay for their own union, because then it could be truly independent. They could carry on doing the things that the RPA did. But the RPA is a very good organisation for welfare. As Ellis Genge has pointed out, and you know, to his credit, spot, uh, is absolutely spot on with, they're not very good with, good with the financials. So I think they should, they should divorce that side of their organisation, basically hand it over to someone else. And one of the examples the RugbyPod gave was the England deal. 
Now, on the face of it, they've got a really, really, really good point here. And I, and I kind of appreciated the point they made because for most people who listen to rugby podcasts, well, not most people, but a lot of people, a lot of casual rugby fans, rugby is the England team. Does anyone, does anyone di- disagree with that? Uh, there's a lot of people, probably fewer who listen to podcasts, but there are, a yeah. huge, there are a huge number of people who only get engaged in rugby when England are playing or when Wales are playing or when Ireland are playing. Agreed. You're in Six Nations, Autumn International, Summer Tours. Yeah, so the argument goes something like this, which is the RPA were instrumental in striking a deal with the RFU to make sure that the English players are the best paid players in the world. And that is undoubtedly true. And the RPA had a hand in that. But I would just counter this, which is, isn't the England deal more to do with keeping every other player's wages low using a salary cap, yet having enough money in the pot to pay your top players? So A, you get tickets, and uh, sorry, you get bibs and seats at club level, and B, you can maintain the England team. It's more of a deal between the clubs and the RFU, which benefits both those parties and, of course, the England players, but almost at the expense of everyone else. I mean, you might, if that was the argument that the RFU has done, a, sorry, the RPA have done a good deal with the RFU, you might then say, well, does that mean that every player in Bristol has had a bad deal because nobody plays for England? Does that mean that every English player does not have a good deal because, sorry, every non-English player who doesn't play for England or English player who doesn't play for England has a bad deal because... Well, they- I, th- I think you're right to say that this, it was aimed at the, the, the top of the pyramid because the... The deal that was struck was to keep keep England players very, very well compensated and that would keep them playing in the English domestic league because that's the only way they could access that high amount of money and that makes the club game more attractive to sponsors, to broadcasters yeah. and to fans because they have that direct relationship with the England team and the clubs that the players represent. This so, is Like you're saying, keep the English players in English and internationals, and then we get more money for everyone else. I, yes. I yeah, I, I, th- I think I think that is the cascade. It's it's well, England RFU is an international rugby is a cash cow, so we need we want the best players here, but we want them playing here so that we can market our domestic league. And, and in go on, Phil, sorry, sorry, I'm just going to give a comparison that England and the RFU is slightly weird because of the, the big top unions, England's one of the few where there is a separation between the RFU and the clubs. If you look at New Zealand, Ireland, Wales, Scotland, Australia, I think South Africa is even the same, uh, definitely Argentina. Um, the, they're, pretty much everyone is centrally contracted, or certainly the top players are all centrally contracted. So even if... Um, I don't know, Jack McGraw is playing for Ulster. He is still um, under an IRFU contract and they have control over game time and all the rest of it. Yeah. So England is different in that regard. And, and that is probably one of the things that might even be the biggest thing that has led the England players to be the, the best paid players when they're playing internationals. Yeah, just on, on this, do you think the general RPA membership, which is not just premiership players, but also... Uh, championship players, do you think they would rather an increase in match fees for the England squad or do you think they uh, re- would like better injury protection? Uh, the average person? Yes. I, I mean, I know what Anthony Watson wants. Yes, yeah. But the, the average, given that there are is it a 30-man England squad and, I don't know, 600 uh, people in the RPA, something like that, um, yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to be better match protection or an increase in the salary cap or something like that, but more money across everything, not more money in one narrow silo. Yeah. Uh, Actually, you might even argue there might not be enough money in the game to execute that, but I just don't like the principle that that is, I I don't give the RPA any real credit for that. I don't blame them for letting it happen either. I I don't, I I just see it as a, a, a neutral thing. I don't think that's a reason to say the RPA are doing a particularly good job on the financial side. That's all. That's the only point I'm making. Just one one point um, that I couldn't help thinking when I was listening to Alice Genge, and this is something that um, an article by Andy Good in the Ruby Pass that I read. It, it, this does align to it. Um, I couldn't help thinking when I was listening to Genge that ha- have these boys been let down by their agents? 
like totally let down by their agents. And, and the reason I was thinking that was Gendra was talking about um, bespoke contracts. So different players need different contracts. And he, he was suggesting that in rugby, it's pretty much off the shelf contracts for everyone, whether you are an 18 year old academy lad or you're Maro Itoji. Um, which it just seems totally ridiculous because the talent profile, the commercial profile, the risk profile of those players are totally different. And then when he was talking about his, but the contract side, but the commercialization side and getting um, adequate, bespoke, tailored legal advice, just all of that seemed to come across as surely that is what, what the agent should have been doing on the player's behalf right across the board and actually maybe maybe that would be the bigger thing out of what Genji is putting forward maybe it is that uh, the opportunity for people to have proper quality tailored advice yeah and I think that links to the RPA again which is why not not regulate regulate is not the right word but almost a whitelist of agents that, yeah, this guy's good, this guy's good, this guy's good. Why are they good? Maybe there's a seal of approval which they can get. You know, I think there's a huge, there is a huge variance in advice that agents give. And I mean that in terms of quality. But in fairness to the RPA, what Gage is referring to, which is a standard contract, is exactly that. It's what's the RPA implemented to make sure that all the injury clauses are all the same. Or as a said in the championship it's basically like the wild west so that you know that you know that, again but that's just an example of the rpa being good at the welfare aspect uh, but you know to just to go back to the point on um, bespoke contracts uh, i think the money and how you structure the money you know how many games that the players contracted for that that is all stuff that the agent should be doing yeah it does yeah, sound like failing Broadly speaking, and again, if you if you aim this at the average rugby player rather than the top thirty players in England, then I think what you got to remember is they're not on very much money. Yeah, true. And true. this is fans need to understand. Uh, there is good evidence out there that middle class people, in particular, tend to have kids later and later and later because of housing costs and this that, and the other. And there's a, a time where you become financially. Uh, stable enough that you go and have kids and that's getting later all, all the time rugby, rugby players tend to have kids much, much earlier in essence what they do is they bring all of their expenses forward whether it be more uh, you know, higher repayments on mortgages whether it be having kids they do it in the middle of their career when they're earning more because later on in life they're not going to have that cash when they stop playing, playing rugby this is something which people have completely overlooked they just say well you know they want more money than John the Plumber that's not how this works. Uh, a lot of people in their 20s are not earning as much as rugby players. But by the time they get into their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, they will be earning more. And all those big expenditures like paying off the mortgage and, and whatnot will happen for them then. Rugby players do it the other way around. And it's just important that people recognise that. Yeah, and, and it, I guess what, one of the reasons I, I brought up, the if you just think about the average player, they're not on a lot, is that, well... <laughs> the, the, it, how, how are you going to get huge uh, how are you going to get such bespoke tailored advice when you're talking about someone that's earning 60 50 50k a year yeah it's not, not going to get it you're going to get an off-the-shelf contract it's like you you go you if you've got 150 quid to spend on a suit you're going to get it off the shelf not tailored yeah it's true yeah it, it that that's a very good point and that that could be something that this this does solve and and actually where in in Genji's scenario, where he's looking for that for the for to look after the the guys that are perhaps on on less money, yeah. that's something that will really benefit it'll benefit more people and arguably more vulnerable people or p- people who are not in the 500k a year contracts, uh, 200k my protein deal, 200k Adidas deal, uh, vitality, yeah, vitality, cocoa, cocoa water, Beats by Dre. So here's a story, and it is a common urban myth. I can't tell you who the characters are involved or who or who told me. Can we guess? No, you can. <laughs> I wouldn't guess anyway. But um, it goes something like this. Somebody set up a, a rugby agency, but the way they set up the rugby agency is to set, by sending out 60 Xboxes, and that's how they got their, their initial client bank. 
Nothing to do with their qualifications in reading contracts. They're <laughs> 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 negotiating deals. Here are some Xboxes, boys. Please well, sign up. Which is why, and if, if that is true, then there is an element of choices and consequences, and we shouldn't necessarily think of, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say necessarily, we shouldn't necessarily cast rugby players as some kind of victimised group of people. They could just have made bad decisions. If they have, right? But let me tell you this. If I was on the staff of a rugby club and some Xboxes dropped through the door, I'd be asking questions immediately. Like, where did that come from? <laughs> what do they want from you? Uh, you know, what are they asking you to sign up for? Uh, um, up for? There'd be lots of questions that I would be asking to make sure. Because ultimately, you are right, Tim. They are free to make bad decisions. Believe me, plenty. And they're adults. Do. Let's not forget. But they're also my number one asset. And I want my number one asset to be as financially stable and uh, uh, untroubled as possible. And that includes on, includes on, on, um, on the financial side too. So I, I think I'd be asking a lot of questions if I was at a club. You'd, you'd be treating all your number one assets like um, Wagyu beef. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Exactly Doing right. the massaging, checking for a nice marbling throughout there. <laughs> <laughs> but then on the flip, there's like the... Um, Clive Woodward, his whole philosophy and what the, you know, he was, even though rugby turned professional, there was some, there were talk about some nations in that 03 era, you know, very, very controlled. And Clive Woodward said, right, you're adults. Yeah. If you want your families about, have your families about, if you want to go out for a drink, go out for a drink. I just expect you to do the professional job and it's your choices, your choices and consequences. And it was left to the players. And I agree. Yeah. There's one thing, um, go out for a few drinks with your family or even go get smashed all night and come back in 24 hours in the same clothes which you left in. That's one thing. It's another thing entirely to say, you know, get this ap- absolute idiot to deal with your contract. And by the way, I, I'm not saying any of these guys are idiots. I'm not saying yeah. that about, I refer it to, the, uh, to an American fo- football uh, situation. Uh, the running back, what was his name? Who played for Miami Dolphins? Uh, anyway, doesn't really what matter. What era? Uh, doesn't matter. Really, Ricky Ricky Williams had the rapper Master P as his agent. <laughs> you know, that's that's not going out for twenty four hours. That's signing away all of your earnings. <laughs> um, did either of you just just on the go out, have your family around, go out for a few drinks, relax, take care of yourself? Did either of you see the Gitto interview on House of Rugby? Yeah, it's excellent. Um, not House was it House of Rugby? I can't remember one one of those things. Um, where he's talking about Eddie Jones and he did an amazing Eddie Jones impression, but he was also saying what Eddie Jones did to get the best out of him and just the the indecision that Eddie Jones left him with. I no, I listened to this and I kind of thought of, thought of you here, Phil, because we like to talk about this sort of rubbish. We do. I, that, that, that makes for a good workforce. I, I, so well, not, not knowing what your boss is actually wanting you to do or thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I loved the have a beer, mate. I loved, loved that story. Like, and and Gitto's described it as like still now. Gitto's age what thirty six, thirty seven, something like that. Still now, when he sees Eddie Jones in Japan, his heart starts racing because he doesn't know how to react. <laughs> but I, so I, I love talking about this kind of stuff and like this. This signing, I think, is really interesting, both from a rugby and from like a normal everyday work life perspective. Um, and it's something that I'm more aware of now is the man management type thing. There is no one size fits all solution. And we'll come on to it um, in the next pod on the, the All or Nothing documentary. But there was times when there was stuff that um, Hanson was saying, and I I was confident that it would hit a note and strike a chord with maybe 50 or 60% of the, the people in that group. Um, but then it's how you manage the other. How do you get it up to 80, 90, 100% of the people are pulling in the right direction? And, and stuff like that that would work with Gitto would not work with other people like that. I can't see that would work with someone like Kirtley Beale, for example, yeah. just to stick in the Australian, or James O'Connor to stick in the Australian uh, groups. So I, I think that way of bringing it up to 100% of the people fully engaged, that is a real, real leadership skill. So that's not the first time I've heard Gisso do an Eddie Jones impression. Oh, really? 
No, he did one for me. Mate, have a beer, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cracking story, though. It's yeah, an good. amazing story. What was, it? <laughs> what was the other Eddie Joe story he told you then? Uh, basically about how, like, uh, about the first time he got picked as a 19-year-old. Uh, but yeah, he, he does do it. The only person who does a better impression or an impression on par with Matt, uh, with Matt Kittel is David Flatman doing Matt Stevens, which actually brings tears to my eyes. Yeah. Very- we, I think there might be a few impressions being uh, dusted off in the next podcast we're doing on the All or Nothing New Zealand. <laughs> I think I might have Sonny Bill Williams down to a T. Oh, nice. I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, just just broadly speaking, I think um, on this whole RPA issue, I'm I'm massively in favour of players having access to high quality advice, which can be tailored to them. I think that's a great point. Which between you, the pair of you, you both made. I also think let's. I just want to stop short of, and this is what I've started to read and hear people starting to kind of portray rugby players either like they're victimized or like they're in fact or like we're infantilizing them like they're not adults they are as long as they've got access to information they can make bad decisions if they want but give them give them give them the the right help and the right support so they can avoid it if they choose to yeah i I think that that's a very good point and that that is fair because you can give up these guys all the information in the world and some of them will still go out and buy range rovers and drink and do whatever else with their money well if you remember phil we actually met a rugby player on a rooftop bar in manchester who was hanging out with a guy (laughs) (laughs) i really didn't know where that conversation was going to go then anyway go on yeah uh which is which was an eye which was an eye opener i never told the story before but we met a guy uh, a well-known england rugby player in a rooftop bar uh and he was hanging around with a guy who sells um who leases cars to, to the united squad and the way he does it is he's saying, right, guys, what you need to remember is the average household spends 30% of their disposable income on car repayments. So what's your disposable income? <laughs> you know, oh, my like, God. Oh, uh, £100,000 a week after tax. I've got this. <laughs> we go, Perfect. Here are five cars. And that yeah. is why so many of the United Squad have multiple cars parked in drives around, around Oldley Edge because of this guy. It was unbelievable. <laughs> listening to it <laughs> I'm just looking at uh, the player question thinking I, I, if I was more of a man uh, I'd probably bundle him into a lift put him in a taxi and send him home this is not this is not where he needs to be right now it Do sounds not. like this guy sounds like Saul Goodman have you watched Better Call Saul yes oh my god I've Love just I've, I'm in season three in that it is I can't believe I've waited so long to watch it it's amazing <laughs> I can't yeah. watch you can't you can't it's too sad because I really like the Kim character. She's really nice and sweet, and you know something's going to happen to her because she's not in. Well, because she's not in um, Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad. Yeah, I know. I keep thinking I'm like they, I'm again. Don't no spoilers, please, because I mean I'm towards the end of season three. But I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to have a horrible moment where they're not going to be together anymore. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I just gave up watching it. I, I don't need that in my life. Those those two are amazing television. Break, Breaking Bad is probably my favourite ever. I think um, I prefer Be- Better Call Saul. I think I do. I, uh, they're both but, sensational. It, it is amazing. Uh, let's leave it there because I need to put uh, some power into this iPad. Uh, and I think we've covered everything. Unless yeah. there's really- the only other thing I had was um, the Freddie Burns going to Japan. Um, so there's, oh, been, yeah. there's been a few announcements of people retiring, uh, people leaving the game but freddie burns to japan um is it's quite an interesting story because it we might be starting to see this kind of move a bit more frequently at, at the moment so he's it's, it's one to watch is he uh alex good has also decided to move has he Mako vunapola is uh apparently weighing up his options as well hmm we I think it's good for one or two players. I can't see there being enough money out there for the whole of the Premiership to go. No, well, no, and that's you. You people are going to have to make their mind up quick because, yeah, there's there's not that many spaces available out there. Mm-hmm. there there's good money if you get one of those spaces. I I understand um, if you're the likes of Dan Carter or Kieran Reid or or one yeah. of those players who goes out there. But um, I think we'll yeah. start seeing 
we'll start seeing players doing multiple seasons in one year. They'll go, I'll do Japan, then I'll come and do, then I'll do Super Rugby, then Japan, and then I'll, then I'll do a four-month Premiership stint. That's what yeah. I would do. Which, which has been, that, that has been more common for South African players for a number of years, for them to do Super Rugby and then go and do three months in Japan. Or three months in Sell Sharks. Or three months in Sell Sharks, yeah. Three months in Sell Sharks, supposed to sign for Gloucester, actually sign for Gloucester, and then <laughs> sign for Sell Sharks. <laughs> Fix up. It was unfortunate. I don't think we need to revisit that. <laughs> <laughs> All we dealt with is nobody to go over old ground. <laughs> what what workout? Just quickly before we end this podcast, a quick update on your on your on your weekly exercise. What you've been doing? Oh my God, <laughs> oh my God. So I've really got got I've really got into it to the point I've bought myself some new trainers, uh, which sent me back uh, Metcons, Tim. I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm like a, a little crossfitter in my own backyard. I don't know what they are. Metcons. What? <laughs> Never heard of them. They're like the Nike version of Reebok Nanos. They're, yeah, they're, okay. they're CrossFit specific Nike trainers. I've, I've had, I'm on my third pair of Metcons now. I, I love them. I think they're great. Yeah. So they're sadly they were not next day delivery, which is re- I mean, COVID's really inconvenienced me. <laughs> I couldn't get a 20 kg kettlebell, so I got a 28 kg kettlebell. That's rather than fried. Nice. Uh, but uh, this is the one which really got me today. So my running's been really slow because I've been, you know, been doing uh, running in the morning, weights at night. I'm just my legs are heavy, whatnot. So yesterday I took a day off, uh, ordered myself, uh, ordered myself a very rare treat, a pizza, had a beer, went went running this morning, and I felt very very fast. So I started off yeah, okay, and it got quicker and quicker and quicker. Before you knew it, I was looking at my watch, I was thinking. I'm going to beat my 5K time here. In fact, I'm not just going to beat it. I'm going to absolutely ruin it. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, I, w- I did my maths wrong. So it's 0.6 miles, per- and my watch counts in miles. 0.6 miles per-, per K. 5K, 5 times 0.6. Somehow, I managed to add that up to 2.8. I, I don't know how. So I, I basically slowed down after 2.8. Otherwise... I'd have done under 22 minutes for my 5K. Devastated. Devastated. You've got I it was in. flying. I was flying towards you, the end. You've definitely got it in you then for a, a sub-22. Yeah. Oh, next time. Next time. In, in the last seven days, I'm just looking at my, uh, my little Garmin app. In the last seven days, I've done 161 miles on my bike. Nice. Not, not, and I haven't gone onto any roads. That's all on all Swift. On Swift. All on Zwift. I've been doing because the races are amazing. So, oh really? Yeah, yeah. So I've been I've been waiting basically till everyone goes to bed, and then in the living room, in the sort of in the in the back room, I just pull the little sofa out. I hook up my phone to the telly. I can look on the screen, do a race with hundreds of other people, sometimes in teams, sometimes in. It's pretty cool actually. In solo, and yeah, you just yeah, it's absolutely awesome. It's so clever. I love it. Yeah, I've got a few friends on Strava who do it pretty much every day and have done like major hills, major mountains across the world doing it, doing races in Toronto and New York and everywhere else. It does look pretty good fun. It's quite addictive. Do you know the other thing? I, this is a bit geeky. Do you know what I've really got into for the last few weeks? Like really got into it. Mo- uh, I motorsport i can't watch enough motorsport <laughs> i've been watching old indy 500 uh, qualifying laps today qualifying laps for old what? indy 500 <laughs> I can't is even allowed to be on so i started off started off watching the f1 docs nice like one well, you know so on and so forth um and then that kind of spiraled into oh i just gone to youtube you know find out about this driver that driver before you know it, i'm watching 40 minute videos about why the Williams team has, you know, is no longer successful. And that links into, you know, some American stuff. I watched a documentary last night about an old, uh, you know, a, a, a black driver who didn't quite make it because racism. That led, led me on to the Indy 500. I'm now, I can't wait for the Indy 500 later on the, uh, uh, this year. Should they run it? Should they run it? Well, that, they can definitely run that. People, people are in different cars. Just, crowd. Yeah, just get rid of the crowd. Uh, uh, but on a serious note about uh, about F1, I'll talk about this on a different different podcast. Rugby sevens needs to study the F1 model because that's where it's at. Mm. 
Interesting. Right, Cod, let's wrap it up. I, I need to charge my right. You, right, you know what to do. You know where we are. We've got another podcast coming in your feed where we're going to be talking about the Amazon Prime, uh, well, a docu- back behind the scenes documentary on the All Blacks, All or Nothing. We'll be getting into that. Uh, hit subscribe in your feed so you get that one coming and make sure you follow him at JB Moore, me at Cocker, and Phil is lurking on social media. Let the boys play. Let the boys play. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.